0: Good evening, guys. Welcome to episode 41, Christopher Anastasio podcast. It's Thursday, October 15th, 2020. And uh, welcome to almost the end of the week, um, (laughs) thankfully. Um, So happy Thursday. Uh, Just didn't get a chance to record much in the beginning of this week. Um, uh, Just a lot of stuff going on. (laughs) So uh, some of which I'll talk about during this podcast. Um, I just can't believe... They were uh, just a little over two months away from Christmas. Um, you know just can remember the pandemic lockdown like it was yesterday um, first day kind of uh, hunkering down March seventeenth I mean it just literally feels like it was yesterday and now we're we're kind of staring the holidays down the down the, the pike here so uh pretty amazing uh, how time flies uh, when you're having fun um, one thing I just want to say. I, I gotta i gotta say thank you to all the, the loyal listeners uh new listeners old listeners um recently i think it was yesterday or the day before passed by the 500 play mark on the podcast so all the 40 episodes uh before this one uh have accumulated now i think it's exactly 505 plays so super super appreciate that guys um can't thank you enough um You know, for everybody supporting, listening, sharing, talking about it, uh, that sort of thing. So definitely, definitely, definitely I want to say big thanks for that. Um, So, of course, we'll jump right into it, guys. Uh, If you at all pay attention to your taxes, then you know that today, uh, if you've ever done an extension, that is, is the final day of uh, tax preparation, the deadline for submission. If you have extended so for for your personal tax return, your ten forty, which is normally due uh, April fifteenth, uh, three and a half months into the year, uh, you can extend that six months later to October fifteenth. And I will say this: it is a reflexive choice <laughs> that that I make every year now to do the extension. In fact, I usually send out my extension no later than like beginning of February, uh, so as soon as like W twos have been issued and you know late January comes around and everything's kind of settling for tax time I'll just get the extension out in fact I do that for every return I have to file the the uh, corporate 1120 S for the S corporation and also the 1040 personal return so the S corporation do March 15th extendable till September 15th and one month uh, out from that April 15th <clears throat> for personal taxes and October 15th for extension uh, so that's today. I uh, still haven't hit the send button on, on the tax return, but um, uh, what do you call it? Um, but I will today um, and get the e-file uh, submitted. Um, and of course, if that gets hung up for some reason, could always print off a copy, run it down to the post office and send it out that way. Uh, just kind of an interesting little factoid about the tax return. I mean, if you guys have ever used TurboTax, uh, which I use now for the last several years... Um, you have options on on what view of your tax return you want. There's usually three options. The, the return itself, like the, the, only the pages that need to be filed. Then there's the, the uh, government worksheets. So there's the tax return plus the sheets that the government would use to to calculate you know, and make sure that you put the right numbers in. And then there's a third view, which is the tax return, the government worksheets, and the TurboTax worksheets, <clears throat> which are kind of like they underpin the government worksheets. So there's three different ways. And, of course, once you add in all those worksheets, the tax return gets very sizable. Uh, but just out of curiosity, I ran the middle option, uh, the tax return plus the government worksheets yesterday, and it came to 816 pages. So I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's my tax return? I mean, there is some complexity to it. Um, it does have, you know, the uh, the um, corporate qualified business income that gets ported in from 1120S. It does have a lot of K ones, one for each property uh, that I have a share of, um, and also two K ones for the two corporations, the S corps uh, that I um, that I run. So, so there's a lot of paperwork there, and there's a lot of paperwork that hangs beneath that paperwork. So, it kind of made sense when I thought about it, but it, it definitely kind of shocked me when I first saw the number. But anyway, guys, it's not going to be too long of a podcast. I know I usually say that, and the last several have been almost an hour. But this one, I just really wanted to quickly give you guys some insight on some things I learned from doing my tax return this year that were kind of firsts for me or things that I hadn't paid as much attention to before and now they kind of rose to the surface. And then I'll just give you guys a very, very quick update on the um, shifting gears on the uh, affiliate marketing experiment in the Shopify store that I talked about uh, that I was getting made for me um, from the seller on Fiverr. But that'll be kind of an epilogue to to this podcast. So, so here's the takeaway, guys, from me doing this tax return, okay? Uh, and you'll understand what I mean by this in a second, but if you own rental real estate or you plan to own rental real estate, plan to never, ever, ever, ever sell it, okay? <laughs> Please don't sell it, okay? Don't sell it unless you're in an absolute, you know, you're going to get carted off to jail kind of cash crunch and you have to turn the property into liquid cash, um, I I took such a beating on this return for selling properties in 2019. So my partner and I, you know, we we had gone into a mode at the end of 2018 where we had seen some of the properties start underperforming. Let me give you a little background here. In, In the latter part of 2018, we saw some properties that were suddenly not performing well, suddenly generating very high expense levels, couldn't really figure out what was going on, persisted for several months. And we just kind of got into the mode like, okay, maybe we need to trim the portfolio back a little bit. Maybe we need to finally exercise that option to sell some of these homes that have appreciated quite a bit since 2014 and 15 when we first bought them. And so we sold two at the end of 18. No big deal. Wasn't really a big blip on the radar kind of thing when I did my my 18 taxes last year. So that really, for whatever reason, those two property sales didn't flag uh, you know, didn't flag in such a way that I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to do this again. But in 2019, we sold six of them, okay? So we, we sold them all across the year. I think the first one went in January. The last one went in September. Um, so six of them spread out across those nine months. And, you know, obviously, you know, it was triple the amount that we sold in 18. And let's just say that when all of that kind of factored into my tax return, it probably single-handedly added about five to $6,000 of tax owed to the federal government. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how much to the state. I mean, some fraction of that to the state. Um, but single-handedly turned me from having probably like what would have been a zero tax return, like where I would have paid the exact correct amount and wouldn't have owed anything and wouldn't have been refunded anything. It turned that into basically a $5,300 bill uh, to, to the feds because basically what happened was, well, let me, before I explain to you why that happened, let me just say, and contrast to you, paper versus reality. Okay, and I've talked about this before with you guys when we talk about like depreciation of rental property, how on paper the property is depreciating and going down in value, but in reality it's actually probably going up in value. So, so when you think about real estate, you have to think about these two Dimensions. Okay, you have, you have the real dimension that we live in and you have the paper dimension where certain mechanisms kick in on rental properties and do certain things to those properties that then manifest on your tax return. So basically in reality, like in real life, these six property sales, uh, one or two of them, I think there were two of them that were total duds. The houses were almost like they required so much repair that we had to just unload them as is and made no profit on them. Uh, So they were real kind of losers in that regard, and it was was a little bit painful to have to do that. Um, But it was the most advisable course of action at the time. But those six properties with those two duds in there put $21,000 of cash into my pocket and my bank account. Okay, so just remember that number. $21,000 actually accrued to me cash-wise. On my tax (laughs) returns... Uh, and I think it's Form 4797. You guys can take a look at that form if you want to get familiar with it. But for sale of business property, 20, 4797, reflects a $49,000 gain in my taxable income. Just just in terms of how much I earned from the sale of those properties. So think about that, guys. I actually deposited 21000 in my bank account. My tax return says I got $49,000. So you say, how is that possible, Chris? Like, how did you... How did you end up with more than double what you actually got showing up on your tax return? Well, it's simple, guys. It's this, <laughs> it's this thing called phantom income, and it is the inverse, the other edge of the sword, to depreciation. Okay? So basically what I mean by that is when, when, you, when you deal with depreciation on your taxes, what you're really saying is I have this paper loss – of this property devaluing over time, you know, getting weathered, getting broken down, you know, as time passes, whatever. And I'm and I'm logging in this paper loss that's helping me reduce the amount of income I'm showing from that rental property, right? So if I pulled in $10,000 in rent and I paid $4,000 in expenses, I made $6,000. But then I say, well, the property depreciated 3,000, so I actually make it look like I made only right? 10 minus 4 equals 6. 6 minus 3 equals 3. So in reality, I pocketed $6,000. On my taxes, I pocketed $3,000. That's the power of depreciation. That's why it's so attractive not only to buy real estate and depreciate it, but to keep buying real estate because, you know, depreciation goes away after 27 years, whatever it is, 27 and a half years, something like that. So it doesn't last forever. I mean, eventually, if you held the property long enough, you can't depreciate it anymore and you lose this advantage. So a, a professional real estate investor would tell you all that means is you keep buying. You just you just buy and buy and buy and buy and you keep adding depreciation schedules to your, to your tax picture, you know, the, the, to, your, to your whole taxable situation. So, sounds great. It works like magic. It's a great way to make it look like you didn't make anything from real estate when you did. Maybe that sounds familiar for you guys to track the New York Times articles about uh, President Trump. But that trick, that benefit that, it, that accrues so wonderfully to somebody who owns real estate and, and keeps buying it, bites you in the rear end when you sell it. Because what the government says when you sell it is, hey, you got all this depreciation for X number of years. And for these properties that my partner and I sold, we had hel- these were properties that we'd held for some of the longer periods of time. We'd held them for like four, five, six years. Okay, so this wasn't like we had one year of depreciation that we used. We'd used like a half decade worth of, a pre- of, de- of depreciation. Okay, so basically we had to pay back. Okay, it's called recapture there's actually a phrase that you, that would show up on your tax return I forget the exact phrase it's like recapture of section 1231 gain or something like a 1250 gain i don't don't quote me on that but there's some fancy way of them saying you have to pay the depreciation back to us you owe it back and it's often referred to in real estate jargon as phantom income because it was never real on either side of the ledger you know you It wasn't real when you took it as a benefit and canceled that rental income with it, and it's not real when you have to pay it back because you never felt like you actually got it, and that's why when I looked at these numbers and I said, wait, my bank account says $21,000. Why does the tax return say $49,000? That $28,000, that delta, is the phantom income, and so that... Killed me. That was, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it could be worse. I mean, five thousand dollars owed to the feds. I, I have seen worse than that, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> in my in my recent past of filing tax returns. But uh, this was particularly painful, simply because it's an unforced error, in my opinion. Now, I think my partner agrees with me. We look back on it, we're like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Uh, we didn't really need to do that. We did it more experimentally, and now we're paying a price for it, kind of thing. So you live and you learn. But I definitely think it was something that didn't need to happen. It didn't really benefit me anywhere near the benefit that would have continued to accrue to me if I held the properties, if I still had them as, you know, own my share of them, my partner owned his share of them. We would still be benefiting rental-wise, tax deduction-wise, from the expenses and so forth. But we've, we've lost that, we pocketed some cash, and now we have to pay back all this depreciation. So just kind of wanted to point that out to you guys. Um, when you buy rental real estate and you're really being serious about it, there's really no reason to sell it. There just aren't going to be many reasons that come along that justify selling it. It's better to hold it, even if it's losing some money for you, because it's going to then hurt help you, excuse me, if you're losing money on a rental property, it's going to help you on your tax return. And you can leverage against it. and You can borrow and buy more and the whole thing. Um, but, you know, selling it and then having to pay back the depreciation that that exceeds what you probably put in your pocket, it just – it's rarely going to be justifiable. So I wanted to share that nugget with you guys. A couple other quick things before we move on to the, the update on the other stuff. Um, these are sort of footnotes that kind of I took away from doing this tax return this year. But um, – you know, so <clears throat> any investment interest you have, like if you have loans, if you have interest you're paying back that was used on on uh, debt that you put towards an investment, uh, you can write that interest off. But you can write it off in an itemized deduction sort of way, so like a Schedule A, you know, kind of methodology where instead of taking the standard deduction, you start adding up all these other. Um, you know, all these other expenses that you had and then seeing if those exceed the standard deduction. Uh, and similar to that, the investment interest uh, that you may have paid theoretically could cancel out capital gain. So I was kind of hoping that would happen. I had some investment interest expenses that I thought would cancel out some of that 49000 But unfortunately, due to other factors on my tax return and the recent Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that President Trump passed in 2017 that Congress passed from President Trump, um, it took away some of the teeth behind those kinds of cancellations where investment interest cancels capital gain and weakened that. And so unfortunately I've got years now of, um, at least over the last four or five years, of investment interest that's a, that's piled up to like, I think it's like between twenty and $30,000 that I can't use. It's just piling up year after year and I cannot use it to cancel capital gain, this was the first year that I think it would have come in handy to cancel out this capital gain that I just mentioned to you guys this phantom forty nine thousand dollars that I show on the tax return, but i couldn 't use any of it, so it just didn 't it just didn 't help me i mean I, not necessarily i couldn 't use it. I think it was applied to it, or turbotax ran it as like an you know to see if it would help me, but because like I said because the totality of my tax return wasn 't wasn't optimized to take this kind of deduction because i have other factors going on other situations you know every tax return is a snowflake They're, you can't you can't find similarities between even two of them um it just meant that this wasn't an advantageous deduction for me i could not take the benefit of it if that makes sense so and it doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me so <laughs> you know and i'm living living this stuff so so I think um, – I just kind of wanted to point that out to you guys that, you know, you, you'll hear things like, oh, if you have investment interest, you can cancel capital gain. Yeah, but, you know, there's 25 qualifiers to that. Like you have to really – when you're talking about taxes, it's so hard to just make guesstimation type projection. I mean it's almost like you have to sit down and do the entire tax return to really know the answer. And this was an example of that where theoretically I should have been able to get this benefit, lower this capital gain that was going to reflect uh, all the depreciation recapture. But it didn't help me at all. didn't move the needle. So that was a little disappointing there. Um, The other thing I just want to point out to you guys, almost a huge blunder that I was about to make on this tax return. And I got to say, guys, if you do your taxes on TurboTax, buy the live help. Okay. I mean, I know, you know if you've done it on TurboTax and you've not bought the live help, you probably look at it like, yeah, this is worthless. I mean, they're really not going to help me that much. I probably use the live help somewhere between three to ten times on every tax return in the last few years. I mean, I'm calling them and chatting with them all the time uh, because they're they are so responsive. And, you know, like when you – I mean, let's put it this way. Today they're not going to be responsive because everybody's filing their tax return today. So if you try to get them on the phone today, it's going to take a couple hours. But like any day before today Or maybe the day before today Day before yesterday Excuse me um, You know you're going to get them on the phone within a few minutes Okay that's my experience at least this year I don't think I waited more than two minutes On any call that I made to them um, You can share screens with them And only the TurboTax screen It's not like you're sharing your entire computer with them We you can share your tax return with them In terms of the input screens I don't think they're allowed to see the final product Because it has all kinds of information on it That maybe they're not allowed to see Something like that I remember one of them telling me, but the point is, they can see the input that you're putting into the return and all those those data entry screens, and they can walk through it with you. And so, what basically happened was, I, I was in a situation where I was looking at the tax that I was that I was owing at the top of the screen, and it was way higher than I thought it should be. I mean, it was like some ungodly number, and, um, you know, I was like, I think there's something wrong here. Like, like I there's there's a deduction. I know I should be taking or, ha- or getting at this point, and I'm not seeing it. And that was the Section 199A deduction, which is the, again, from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, that was the the provision in the tax code that said, if you have a small business or rental property that you're getting income from, you can take 20% of what you made and deduct that from your taxes. So for example, if you had a small business and or rental property, and you took in hundred grand. Okay, of qualified business income from those pursuits, you could take a $20,000 tax deduction, right, 20% of 100000 You now have a, another $20,000 tax deduction. I mean, that's enormous. Okay, like, I mean, you know, ahead of household, standard deduction is $18,000 and change. So we're talking about more than the standard deduction, okay. So, I mean, one of the things that in that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which, by the way, was anemic, towards middle class people I mean it barely helped anybody i don't care what anybody says uh, if you're just straight middle class with a w2 you, you know maybe you got a thousand bucks back a year I mean hundred bucks a month I mean just nothing that moved the needle but if you have a small business and or rental property, it was a boon it was an absolute boon because <laughs> because it, it, it did things like this it did this this twenty percent tax deduction uh, for qualified business income that i mean I mean just slices down your taxable income you know i don't care you know what size small business you are that you're going to feel that and that's going to feel pretty good when you can deduct 20 percent of what you brought in so anyway i so on your so on a k-1 okay k-1s are issued like i said from corporations rental properties they basically are reporting income that that came to you that's not on a w-2 you know that would not be considered wages so you get that k-1 and i think it's Well, it depends on what kind of K-1. There's K-1s for rental property. There's K-1s for corporations. They look a little bit different in terms of which boxes are on there and how many boxes. But in that bottom right corner, and I think it's like box 20 on on rental property, or maybe it's box 20 on corporations, something like that. It's in the 20s. That box has a, a letter code that when you go down into the worksheet below it, that letter code tells you, hey, here's how much money chris anastasio made from this rental property or from this corporation and this is the amount he can deduct as qualified business income for the section 199a 20 percent deduction so it's a box down there it doesn't have a number in it, it has, a, has a letter code that you then have to go reference the letter code and come up with the number from there and i was skipping that i was going through these k-1s i mean i had you know like 60 something k-1s to put in and i was just ripping through them real fast And I forgot to pay attention to that box. And I was not taking the Section 199A deduction. So TurboTax Live, I call them up. I'm like, hey, something's wrong here. Like, I'm I'm owing all this tax. I don't understand why. I think there's something I forgot to do. And the lady that I spoke to, CPA based in New York, um, she kind of walked me through this. And she was like, and and I mean, I kind of suggested to her. I was like, hey, where's my 20% QBI deduction? So we went and looked at it. And she was like, yeah, you didn't enter any of these box 20 whatever box it is you didn't enter any of these box 20 values you got to go back through all your k1s take that take the credit you know that comes with that uh you know with that with that income that you received and gets you that 20% deduction you got to do it for every one of them so of course wasn't looking forward to the 3 hours of work that that entailed but was very much looking forward to getting that deduction and of course when i did that it literally Chop thousands of dollars off the tax that I owed. I mean, it, it reduced my tax bill by like 33%, you know, literally. So uh, it, it's just something, guys, if you, if you have a small business, if you have a rental property, don't forget to take your 198 deduction. It's kind of easy to miss because, like I said, on the K-1, it's not a number. It's a letter. So you got to find that letter, go to that supplemental sheet, and then the numbers are down there. Okay, so just kind of want to point that out to you guys. So we're at the 25-minute mark. This is perfect. Uh, just going to wrap up real quick, guys. No real update on my affiliate marketing uh, experiment. I just haven't had the time to go into Google Ads and sit there and load in the ads that the copywriter made for me uh, to now run against those landing pages uh, that that were made for me. Um, I, I I hope to do it in the next couple of days. I mean. You know, I don't know if there's something psychological going on where I'm, like, afraid to see if this doesn't work or whatever. But the bottom line is I should, by next week, be able to say on one of these podcast episodes that the Google ads are running for the affiliate landing pages. So, uh, so really just no no movement there, guys. Uh, the Shopify store, I think uh, one or two episodes back, told you guys that I'd run across an incredibly talented uh, Shopify developer based in Indonesia on fiverr making you know full you know you know all the bells and whistles type shopify stores for 150 bucks i mean just some ungodly low number i mean i just feel guilty paying only that amount of money for what she created uh, for the shopify store but the bottom line is i got this store delivered to me uh yesterday and it was incredible I mean, I, I can't wait to show it to you guys now. We're, my VA and I are making some tweaks to it. Uh, there's some things in the descriptions. We just have some, some typos, a couple uh, word choice things that have to be changed. You know, and, and it's to be expected. I mean, you know, she's, she speaks fluent English according to her Fiverr profile. But, I mean, she's in another country and different cultural uh, um, uh, frameworks there. So she, she really came super close to writing the stuff on the site the way I would have written it. In fact, I think she wrote it better because she understands what converts on Shopify stores, and I don't. Um, but there was just some mechanical stuff that we need to clean up there. Uh, you know, it wasn't even a blip on the radar. I didn't even care that we needed to do that. The store was just incredibly well-crafted uh, and visually appealing. So eventually, guys, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post it on the Facebook page, uh, Christopher Anastasio, LLC, and you guys can take a look at it. I mean, you could just be like, okay, yeah, I want one too. you know. <laughs> and and, and I'll, I'll put her username up there as well uh, so you guys can see who did it. And you can always order your own store if you're interested in trying this. But anyway, so at this point, the store is done. We're in a very minor level of cleanup mode on that, VA and I. Tomorrow at 10 o'clock, I have my second call with the, um, with the ad agency in Thailand that runs Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, puts creatives together to, to make those ads. And, I mean, I'm definitely going to be signing up with, with, with that agency. Um, I've, I've made the decision to go with them and give them a block of time to see how, you know, give them like six months to see if they can generate traffic and convert, uh, you know, give or take. I mean, we have to kind of see how it goes, uh, so, you know, kind of check the data along the way. But got a a follow-up call with them tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's probably where we will sort of finalize and formalize the way ahead. And I expect them to be on board by 1 November. I mean, you know, sign the contract, you know, turn over the store to them, the whole thing. Um, And really just in time for the holiday season. In fact, you could argue that I'm probably a little bit behind because this year the holiday season kind of started in September almost with the coronavirus pandemic, people being locked down, people looking forward to the holidays. I mean, there's all kinds of data out there. If you go over to Pinterest and you look at Pinterest alone, uh, people doing holiday searches, pinning stuff, taking ideas off Pinterest for the holidays, and this was going on in, like, the late summer. I mean, so people are itching for some kind of uh, positivity from the the whole lockdown, the pandemic, et cetera. So bottom line is I really should have been getting this store ready for the holidays, like, two months ago, you know, or or at least a month ago. Um, But if by 1 November the ad agency is in place... And they are um, and they are running ads and they are, and they are putting holiday themes in those ads. I think it'll be okay. The, the worry is when you're doing this e-commerce drop shipping stuff through Shopify, and you're sourcing from China, there are long shipping times involved, guys. I mean, like we're talking fifteen to 20 days usually is the the average. I mean, you may even see orders take longer than that. So if somebody wants something for Christmas from your store, they have to order it by the end of November. I mean, this is not like, you know, somebody's going to place an order on your store on December 20th and get it in time for Christmas. It's not going to happen. So once the Thanksgiving situation dies down, you know, people are going to come to your store on December 1st and be like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to have this in time for Christmas. So really, the selling takes place in November. So I have to have these guys on board by 1 November and uh, just get going that way uh, with them. So anyway... Like I said, guys, within the next few days, you'll see that up on the Facebook page. I'll mention it in the podcast. I'll tweet it out on Twitter um, and let you guys know what's going on with that. But really excited for people to see this store. It's beyond incredible uh, what this lady is doing with, um, with Shopify for the cost. I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> okay, so, you know, left a big tip because, you know, it's like I had to assuage some of that guilt uh, that I felt for buying a store for $150 that looked like that. Um, honestly, I think to make a store, like, final point here, to make a store like that from somebody in the United States who was doing web development and was building a store that looked like that, that's probably their hourly rate. Okay, think about that. Okay, they're probably charging 100, 150 bucks an hour to make a store that, that, that looked like this one. So, anyway, uh, more to follow on that, guys. So, let's just wrap up here. Preview for tomorrow, guys, um, as I really plan to record episode 42 Friday the 16th, uh, which is tomorrow. Um, want to talk to you guys? I'm going to, you know, shift gears again, and I'm going to sort of debut for you something I discovered last Friday, the ninth, uh, about setting up. If, if you're running a business and you got, you know, you got your LLC, or maybe you're even doing LLC ask a corporation, totally different way to do it. Uh, it's called the triple threat limited partnership. Okay, the triple threat LP. And I just stumbled across this. I'll, I'll give you guys the whole story tomorrow, but stumbled across it last Friday. It was like a it was like a white paper that described this this corporate entity structure where you piece three entities together. Absolutely incredible. Just absolutely incredible way to leverage uh the various corporate structures that you can have, you know, C Corp, LLC, etc. Uh, and you could piece it together in such a way that it just accrues so many business and tax advantages to you. Um uh, there has to be a downside. I'm kind of searching for that right now. But anyway, uh, don't want to get into it too much right now. I want to wrap this up here. Um, but if you guys are interested in, in, like, corporations and entities and how you use them to lower your taxes and kind of set your business up uh, in a most advantageous way, you definitely want to listen to episode 42 because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually have the white paper in front of me. I'm going to go through some of the highlights of that and talk to you about the whole concept uh, behind this this idea called the Triple Threat LP. Okay, guys, so anyway, I hope hope you guys have a great... Uh, Thursday, uh, you know, get into the weekend tomorrow, uh, but definitely looking forward to that next episode as well. Uh, and I hope you took something away from this one about the taxes, the real estate depreciation. Um, you know, follow me on Twitter at CJ Anastasio. Check me out on Facebook at Christopher Anastasio LLC. Um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of this material that I'm talking about here posted up there. So thanks again, guys. Super appreciate you listening. Super appreciate you guys checking in on the podcast. Um. And we'll talk uh, real soon. Talk tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Bye-bye.